Right, good, right. So, we're continuing the series on God's new community. Um, I don't know how many of them you've been here for. Um, I've missed a couple, but I did, I did listen to them online because I thought I'd better do. Um, so there was John on growing, Dan on worshipping and following, Andrew on loving, Louise on going, and today, lucky you, me on giving. Now, at the start of the series, John asked us all a question, something maybe that was, you know, a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Why be part of Portsford Church? Why get involved? Haven't you got something better to do? What's it all for? And I wonder if we approach giving in the same attitude sometimes. Why does the church always want my money? What's in it for me? Well, I am... Oh, that's the wrong way around. I am delighted today (laughs) to announce the Portsmouth Church Giving Awards Scheme. We are a little bit behind the times here, but... I will be looking at the top 50 annual givers, our bronze partners, and uh, you'll recognise them because they will have a Jesus Loves You sticker. The top 25 givers will be prayed for by one of our elite prayer team once a month, free of charge. The top 10 givers, our gold partners, will be able to jump the queue for coffee after church. We did think about two biscuits each, but we couldn't afford that, right? And the number one giver, the platinum partner, will be delighted to take John and Mary Ayrton on holiday (laughs) at your own expense. I can see some worried faces, not least John and Mary's, actually. If you're lucky, the rest of the talk might have a bit more Bible-based content. Um, We shall see where we go. But if, if any of you do wish to take any of our staff on holiday, I mean, do feel free to contact them after the service. So, right, enough craziness. Um, right, back, back to the question. Giving. Why does the church always want my money? Why does the church always want my money? Why does the church want my money? And what's in it for me? Well, I had so much to say on the subject that I thought we would investigate a whole bunch of passages in the scripture, what they have, and using the sort of questioning, uh, well, the questions, why, who, what, how, where, when, and see if there's anything that it has to say to us. I should say that I'll be referencing quite a lot of different verses, so um, I'm not going to give you sort of page references for each of them. Um, do do bear with me. Um, but I will try to tell you where they come from as much as possible. Firstly, why then? Why? Why should I give any of my money to God? Well, there are many answers, and we've sung about some of them. We give... Sorry if that's a bit small. I was trying to get it right. We give in gratitude. After all, God gave to us first. He sets the example. God is the author of salvation. He gave us his son, the very greatest gift, freely given without any hope of repayment. None of us can repay him for that. 
In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In 2 Corinthians 9 it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's his Son, Jesus Christ. In Romans, Romans 5, it tells us, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Our Father God, he's, he's a God of giving. In Luke 15, we, we know that famous parable about the lost son. It was sometimes called the prodigal son, the wasteful son who wasted his father's fortune in, in wild living. But the parable's also, of course, about the father, who was equally prodigal, extravagant, in pouring out his blessing on his son when he returned. And I think that's the story of God's relationship with his people throughout the Bible. It bears witness to his continual desire to bless us, his people. This is good news. And if my faith isn't happy, that's just the stress. I mean, actually, it's good news, isn't it? Um, secondly, God has ownership of all things. He's the creator and the sustainer of the universe. This includes us, our life, our talents, our wealth. It's not actually my money. Psalm 24 starts, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. When King David was giving generously of his own wealth towards the building of the temple in 1 Chronicles 29. He acknowledged God's place by saying, Wealth and honor come from you. Everything comes from you. And we have given to you only what comes out of your hand. So really, whatever we have, it's, it's not ours. It already belongs to God. Whenever we give, we're just returning to him a portion of what he's already laid out for us. Lastly, it makes financial sense. And you need, you need a financial incentive, don't you? Let's look together at 1 Timothy 6. That's page, I think, 1194 in the church Bibles. There were lots of passages I wanted to crowbar into this message, and this is one of them. Here, here Paul was talking, um, he was writing to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor who he had left in charge of the church in Ephesus or with, with, with leadership responsibilities there. Ephesus was a big city, a major cultural center, a place of richness, of decadence, of excess. And of course, the church established there had brought some of those people into the church and perhaps they hadn't left all of those values behind them. I just wanted to look quickly at verses 18 and 19. Paul instructs Timothy, Command them, them that is those who are rich, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, of course, there's an eternal dimension here, isn't there? Our time, in Our time in this world is but brief. If we want to make good use of our money, let's invest in God's purposes. 
Let's try and move that. If we invest in God's purposes, we're building for ourselves treasure in heaven. Giving shouldn't be seen as some kind of loss. The world might see it that way. But giving is more sowing the money that God's given us into the kingdom of God, into his purposes. That's building us treasure in heaven. That's good financial planning. Don't just plan for your retirement. Think of eternity. I feel I should say something here about God's promises to reward us. And there is a danger that we um, stray into prosperity teaching. Well, to me, the Bible is full of talk of rewards, not only for godly giving, godly living, sorry, but also for giving. Let's face it, there should be an element of self-interest in our faith. It would be a strange thing indeed. Hello? Is it actually working? Okay, I'll carry on. It would be a strange thing indeed to follow Christ and make any of the sacrifices that are involved if it wasn't in our interest to do so, wouldn't it? It would be foolish. Being a Christian has many benefits. It gives us a reason for our existence. It enables us to live a life of joy and love and meaning, placing us in a community of faith and caring. And Andrew spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. Most of all, it gives us the promise of eternal life. That's not a bad bargain. God's rewards are always the gifts of grace. They're not payment for services rendered or monies given. God doesn't owe us something if we deposit money in his bank account. We can't buy our salvation. God loves a cheerful giver because he is a cheerful giver. A giver of every good and perfect gift. There's a story of John Wesley um, taking a tour of a major plantation by the owner. They, it was a big place. They, went, they rode on horses for several hours. And back at home in the evening over dinner, the owner proudly asked John what he thought. His surprising answer was, you're going to have difficulty leaving all this behind. That's the eternal dimension again, isn't it? We give generously. God will in turn make us rich. But that richness will be spiritual in nature. God will help us grow and become more like Christ. But that's much better than money, isn't it? What would you rather have? Financial riches, which you must manage, guard, and watch over, but you'll definitely lose them. Or would you rather have wealth that lasts forever? So, why give? This is the longest section, by the way. There's lots of questions to go, but this is the longest one. Why give? Well, in gratitude, to imitate God, to be abundant, delighting in pouring out blessing on others, to invest in eternal things by joining in God's purposes here on earth. It makes sense. You know it does. Right. So, we have good reason to give in response to God, and also because it makes sense. But maybe you're sitting here thinking, does this apply to me? Who should give? Ta-da! No surprise. You, me, all of us. All of us who are believers. No exceptions. Do you remember Dan's message a few weeks back that God loves our obedience and part of our worship is giving back to him? Andrew's message that it's the attitude of our heart doing things in love that matters above all. Giving without love is 
achieves nothing. Well, God eagerly desires that we join him in his purposes. And that means giving as well. Now, actually, the amount that we have available to give is not really the issue. It's not whether we're poor or rich. And we're a wide variation in the people here. So I was drawn to two examples in the Bible. I've always thought, wouldn't it be fantastic to know that you were held up as an example so good that you were written down in the Bible? Obviously, only if you're one of the goodies. Obviously, there's plenty of bad examples in there too. But I was drawn to the example of two poor widows in the Bible. Widows, obviously, being amongst the most poorest and most vulnerable of members of society. Do you remember the story of the widow of Zarephath? Elijah came to her in need, and she fed him her last meal. The story's in 1 Kings 17. Well, that's pretty sacrificial, isn't it? God asked it of her. She responded, and of course, God richly blessed her in return. Or the widow at the temple in Luke 21, who Jesus witnessed giving two small copper coins into the church treasury as others were pouring in much greater amounts. What did Jesus say about her? This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. She, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Wow, what an amazing testimony there in the Bible for all of us to see. Even those of us with very little can still join in God's purposes through the attitude of our hearts and give glory to him in that way. I hope you agree. All right. So we have a reason to give, and we can all join in those purposes. Well, what should we give? This is kind of like the uncomfortable how much type question, isn't it? Well, I thought, you know, I needed to do some research on this, so I asked my kids. (laughs) I've got um, two children, Emma, who's five, and James, who's seven. Um, And I asked them both about giving money to God. Quick as a flash, I got two pretty contrary answers. So Emma, five, said, God doesn't need my money. I think James saw the slight hesitation in my face as I failed to commend her for her full and complete answer. So he immediately jumped in and said, because he likes winning, we should definitely give money to God. And of course, well, yes, they both have elements of truth in, don't they? Actually, of course, God doesn't need our money, does he? I don't think God's running up a credit card bill somewhere. He's, he's the master of all creation. But of course, he demands something much more valuable. He demands our hearts. And with your heart comes, of course, the use of your money. I'm sure you remember the verse, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's in Matthew 6. If we were to look through each other's bank accounts, might that show us where we're laying up our treasure? Where is our heart? Well, God wants your heart. If your heart is changed, if you allow your heart to be changed by God, then he's going to convert your wallet too. You will be different. But can we be any more specific about how much we should give? Well, I guess most of us have heard about some of the Old Testament teaching on tithing. 
This was where the Israelites were commanded to give 10% of their income to the Levites. The Levites being, if you like, religious workers, maybe something similar to like giving to the church today, our own uh, pastors and so on. That was 10%. But actually there was other required giving as well. Other tithes, a poor tithe, a festival tithe. 30% of my income to God? Giving? Really? Well, by the time of Jesus' day, the Jews had actually kind of modified the giving slightly. They perhaps were reflecting the burden of the taxes that the Roman Empire put on them. And they were paying the poor in the festival tithe in different years. So maybe only 20% giving. But let's look at what the New Testament says about it. What did Jesus say? Well, it says the New Testament has an awful lot of verses in it that touch on giving. And Jesus did, in Matthew 23, 23, touch on tithing. It was, of course, in one of his conversations with the Pharisees. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. It seems to me that Jesus was supporting the principle of the tithe, but, of course, recognized that without love, it was without value. Let's look at some advice Paul gave to the Corinthian church. This is another one you can look up if you want to. Page 1157. This is in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a couple of passages in 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians obviously needed some prompting. Now, this this passage is not dealing with regular giving, if you like. It was actually where Paul was asking the Corinthians to join in with a special offering that was being raised for the believers in Jerusalem. The believers in the Jerusalem were, were suffering. They were in some distress, maybe because of a famine or something like that. So let's look at um, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16, 1157. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week... Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And the phrase I want to home in on there is, in terms of this how much, is set aside a sum in keeping with your income. That's that's quite a similar concept to the tithe, isn't it? We're not all equally wealthy. But we give in accordance linked to how much we earn. As one commentator put it, God blesses you with wealth, not to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. Boom, boom. Well. Now, of course, a tithe isn't appropriate for everyone. I wouldn't recommend it, for instance, to students, because the way university works these days, you incur enormous amounts of debt whilst you're at university. And if you like, giving on top of that to increase your debt doesn't seem to me necessary or wise but for most of us those in who are earning maybe a tithe is a good place to start and something to build on so we all have a reason to give we're all in it together no exceptions 
And we've got some useful guidelines here about what to give. But I'm reminded of Andrew's message again from a couple of weeks ago. Actions without love are worthless. So let's look at how we should give. We should give intentionally, joyfully, freely. Because giving is an overflow of our hearts, it's motivated by love. So it's no surprise that we give joyfully, freely, generously. Let's look at another passage in 2 Corinthians 8. This is a couple of few pages on, 1163. Paul's talking to the same church in... in, uh, 1 to 5, here we go. And he's giving them another, another prompt, another hint. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave of themselves, first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. Wow, well, hmm. rich generosity out of extreme poverty. That's, that's quite something, isn't it? I think verse 5 for me gives the key to why they were so generous. They gave themselves first to the Lord. It was by putting God first in their lives that they experienced a true conversion of their hearts. And God's spirit works in spite of their extreme poverty to bring an overwhelming joy and rich generosity into their lives. They truly had a conversion of the wallet. Together, corporately as a body, they gave joyfully. And giving, giving is joyful, isn't it? I'm sure you've all experienced the joy of giving. Of course you have. The look in a child's face when you give them a toy. could be your grandchild, your, your son or daughter. Your mother's delight when you took her flowers. The heartfelt thanks of a close friend who you cared for when they needed it. We do these things out of love, don't we? Out of relationship. Freely. Joyfully. How much more then can we give intentionally, joyfully and generously back to God, our Father, who, as we've seen, is the source of all love and grace? Okay, bear with me. Two more questions. When and where? Some more practicalities. Well, when? If you flick back the five pages back to the 1 Corinthians 16 passage, let's look at a different part of the same verse. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, set aside. Well, again, I don't want to... This, this was some instructions in a particular situation, but I think there's some, there's some good discipline there, isn't there? Every week... Well, that's regularly, isn't it? On the first day, well, that's an expression of priority. 
These days, with modern banking, we can achieve that quite easily. You can set up standing orders, can't you? Then, even if you forget, you haven't forgotten because it's already happening. The problem with that, or part of the problem is, we come here on a Sunday, and virtually nobody is actually joining in with the act of giving, are we? It somehow falls out of our mind. But giving regularly is, is, is a good idea. Another picture I think is useful in helping us when to decide to give is a story of caution that Jesus told us in Matthew 25. This looks forward to the end of time when we come before Jesus our King and he says to us, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Do you ever feel a desire to give to a cause that somehow touches your heart? Could be raised at church, could be on TV. Prompting because of a need you've heard from a friend. Sometimes you hesitate. The moment passes. Have you just missed out on a chance to serve your king? I didn't look at when I started. <laughs> Let's keep going. When Sarah and I were in the Gambia back in 2005 to 2007, um, Gambia's a poor country in West Africa, and, and we were there, um, well, Sarah was there with her work, but... Of course, in a country like that, you are constantly confronted with opportunities to give. And a bit like the starfish example, not the starship, the starfish example, we've mentioned a few times. It's, it's like you have, you're almost made to feel inadequate because you can't respond to everything. I do remember a time when a chap who had run out of insulin to treat his diabetes and was pretty desperate for help. I remember being moved and wanting to help him even though he was a stranger, and there were plenty of other needs that I could have met amongst people I knew better. Well, that time, we took him to a clinic. He presented himself to a doctor, he got a prescription, we took him to the pharmacy, and he got the drugs. The next day, I told on my Gambian colleagues, who was incredibly suspicious, asked me if he was Nigerian, and was absolutely convinced that I'd been scammed. Well, maybe I was, you know. But I felt a bit foolish. And maybe sometimes we're scared of coming, being foolish in, in our decisions. But hey, maybe he was one of those least of those brothers and sisters of mine. So yes, give regularly. Give us a priority. Give wisely. But be prepared to give spontaneously when you see a need. That's the Lord placing something on your heart.
Okay. Where? Where do we give? Well, as we've seen, the Bible gives us these examples of where we should give. We should give to the church, to those who are pastoring us. We should give to the poor, to the needy. We should join in God's kingdom projects. And there's a really joyful picture of this in the early chapters of Acts, describing, if you like, the very early church in Jerusalem. I'm just picking out some phrases from chapters 2 and 4. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They shared everything they had. There were no needy persons among them. That was a church community, wasn't it? Devoting themselves to the things that matter, teaching, worship, and prayer. And because their hearts were transformed by the Spirit, they also supported each other financially in giving, whenever there was a need. You know, we can be that loving, sharing, giving, new community here today as well. Last week, Louise shared three different slides, which were, in her words, examples of how we all join in going with Christ. Serving here in Portswood, in our very locality, and using the church and the building and the resources here. Joining in with other organizations in the wider city. Joining with our global partners further around the world. I asked her for copies of those slides because they also remind us of things that we give to, things we're already giving to. These are ways in which our loving, giving community is always is already at work. And I want to encourage you to keep going, to keep giving. I'm going to finish with this verse from Malachi. Can we walk away from here knowing full well that we've had a true conversion of our wallet? God gave his people a challenge in Malachi 3. Obviously, they were going through a period of disobedience. But God doesn't often ask us to test him. But he he said this to them. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Some hundreds of years later, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus. We've already taken hold of that inheritance. So let's join in testing God, bring in the whole tithe into his storehouse.